guys. Welcome to Big House. I'm glad you're here. You guys are like the, <laughs> the busiest people I know, so thanks for making time to come here. Um, let's see. Okay, so I'm Nikki. If you don't know me, I work here at Orchard. I'm also a counselor. Um, I coach track. I have a family, and I brought pictures of them because they're really good at taking pictures. I'm horrible, so they make me look good. So I brought a picture. I can't remember if I first have a picture of my family. Yeah, that's my family. Yeah, come on. They're cute. So I have four kids and a husband. The front middle one looks kind of scary. She's really actually cute. Um, okay, so this is my oldest. This is Will. He's nine. Will is, if you know him, the actual sweetest kid in the world. Um, he says, I'm sorry and thank you way too much. It's great. I can't take credit for that because the other three don't act like that, but he's sweet. That's Will. Um, this is JJ. He's super cute. He's kind of a redhead, which is a little odd for our family. The irony of this picture is he is super allergic to cats, but he always finds them everywhere we go, and he pets them, and his eyes swell up. It's really funny. Um, so that's JJ. This is Violet. She's super cute. She's not here, so I can tell you that she went through a phase where we called her Violent and not Violet. She also, this next picture, when I was looking through my phone to find pictures, she apparently takes selfies of herself on my phone. I found hundreds of them. So that's funny. Um, and then this is the baby. This is Olive. She's actually just the cutest thing. Uh, I let her get away with way too much because she's super cute. And this is my husband. <laughs> if you know Jacob at all, that makes sense. We were in a golf tournament a few weeks ago. We got second, by the way, only because my dad's an amazing golfer, not because of us at all. And he decided he needed to catch a frog in the middle of this golf tournament, so that's what he's doing there. Um, and then, is that it, Caitlin, or is there another one? Oh, yeah, I have siblings. Um, so we all look alike. We all have really big noses. That's my brother Kyle, my sister Dee. She's here. You'll see her. And you guys, do you know what this is? This is the hotel that The Shining was based off of. We went there this summer, so I love scary movies, so that was a big deal. Now, this hotel is also known for, next picture, it's the same hotel where they shot Dumb and Dumber. That's the staircase where he's grabbing the girl's feet as she, you know, remember? Yeah. I guess I thought you'd be way more excited. Do you guys even know what Dumb and Dumber is? Okay. Yeah, so that's my family. That's it, right? I don't think there's any more pictures. Oh, there is. You guys, I was on um, uh, GMA, this Good Morning America, like a year ago, this time of year. It's pretty cool, right? Man, you guys are a tough crowd. Thank you. Look at that's me on TV. I was on TV. Yeah. And I also do like Game of Thrones, and it's ironic that that was on there. So, okay. Uh, we are in this series called Restart, and we're doing this because we think it's really important that you guys leave here from Big House, wherever you go after high school, and have begun to figure out your faith and that you continue a relationship with Jesus after you leave here. We know that a lot of times people get away from faith. And maybe there's even some of you here who haven't started a faith journey, and maybe some of you who aren't interested in that right now, and that's great. We are just glad that you're here. Sometimes we get away from faith, though. I know that I have. Maybe we didn't intend to get away, and we do for a lot of reasons. For some of us, it kind of happens when 
we, what we've learned about God doesn't quite line up with what we see in the world. So when you're little, you're taught that God is good, and he answers prayer, and he rewards good things and punishes bad, right? Would that kind of summarize what you learn? But then when we look around the world, we get confused because people that we care about get cancer, or you prayed really hard that your parents would stay together, and they didn't. So where's God on that one? We know lots of really good people who have really bad things happen to them. And so we run into problems when we start to view God in light of what's gone on in our world. Like, since this happened and this is not, that's not fair, then God must be mean. Or you can't trust him or he actually doesn't love us. And it gets dangerous when we do that because the reality of it is we're supposed to take what we know about God and his character and look at what happens in life through the lens of who he is. So that's what we're going to do here. We're going to hit the restart button, and we're going to talk about faith at the starting point of where it's supposed to begin. And we learned last week from Elliot that the starting point of faith is the answer to a question, and the question is, who is Jesus? So I'm also a pastor's kid and a principal's kid, so double whammy, I had to be well-behaved all the time. But one thing that Elliot said last week made me super uncomfortable as a pastor's kid. He said that the starting point of faith is not the Bible says so. It's not the Bible. Did anybody else like feel like they're going to throw up a little bit when he said that? It made me super uncomfortable, but it's true. Uh, the Bible was never intended to be the starting point of faith. The Bible, we really believe that it is the inspired word of God and that it teaches us about who God is and what Jesus did, and that's where we learn how to follow God, but it's not the starting point of faith. The starting point of faith is that question, who is Jesus? There's another starting point that people often want us to start out with faith. And have you guys ever seen those creepy pastors on TV who are yelling at people all the time, right? Yeah, you know. And they always say things like, you're a sinner. So there's people who actually think that the starting point of faith is you're a sinner. Sinner. Sin. Uh, that's a word that gets your attention, and it's not one we use often except if we're in church, right? Your mom and dad don't, like, call you down and say, we need to talk about your sin, or no one gets sent to the principal's office to discuss their sin. We save that word for church, and it's uncomfortable, and it feels condemning and kind of offensive, and we don't like it, so we don't use it. I mean, we know that we're not perfect, no one's perfect, we know that we don't do things right all the time, but to put us in that category of sinner, we don't like that, so we'll use different words. And I actually found a video that perfectly summarizes this. So to set this video up, this was taken at God's Mountain. Who's been on a God's Mountain mission trip? There we go. Uh, so this was probably like five years ago. I think JJ was three. And what he's doing here, him and Courtney Johnson, who's in the room, were walking through ridiculous mud. And it got so stuck on their feet that they almost couldn't walk. So that's what's happening in this video. But I want you to listen really carefully to what JJ says about it. Mine are getting heavier. <laughs> look at mine. <laughs> and plus, it's getting JJ, heavier. JJ, you look so funny. I can't even Here, JJ, use this. this rock. <laughs> My shoes are really heavy. <laughs> I'm going in the mud. I need help washing it off. Why do you have mud on your shoes? Because I stepped in accidentally. <laughs> yeah, accidentally. Oh! 
accidentally 52 times. <laughs> accidentally 52 times? Accidentally 52 times. This is after he said, I need help. Oh, I'm going back in it. I need help. If you know JJ, the accidentally word comes up a lot. But can you relate in regards to sin? You know that you're making a mess, but it's kind of fun. And so you go back in for more. And like JJ, maybe you need help cleaning up the mess that you made. The mess that you knew that you were creating, but you just couldn't or you just didn't want to get out of it. Sin. Yuck. Accident or mistake. I think we feel better about mistake. The problem is I don't think that the word mistake accurately describes everything that we call a mistake. A mistake is something that you make because you didn't double check or you take a wrong turn. If you've ever, where's Elliot? If you've ever got a text from me, it's full of mistakes, right? That's a mistake. Elliot always makes fun of me because he can never actually read my texts because they're so bad. A mistake is something we do because we have insufficient knowledge or we didn't know better. I have a story about a mistake that I made. So when I was a little girl, probably like, I don't know, second grade, we bought a house and it was a piece of crap. And we'd go there every night after my parents got on, done with work and we'd fix it. They'd fix it, I'd play. And one of the reasons it was a piece of crap was none of the toilets worked. So my dad goes, hey, Nick, run upstairs and get the plunger because uh, the toilet's not working. So I ran upstairs, and as I'm going, he goes, don't stick it to anything because he knew me. Well, so I run up and I get the plunger, and <laughs> the first thing I do was stick it to the clawfoot tub, right? It's like stuck it hard. I can remember what it felt like and the sound that it made when I finally got it. It was the loudest, like, suction, right? It was so loud that on the lower level, my dad heard it and screamed, stop doing that, Nikki. I told you not to do that. So what did I do? I stuck it to the tile floor. <laughs> and I remember, like, I kind of had to, like, slide it to the side to unhook it, and it made that loud noise, and my dad yelled once again. What's really gross is I didn't think about the fact, what are plungers for? <laughs> I'm sticking a plunger all over every surface in our house. But I kept going. So I run down the hall with the plunger, and I slant, like, Okay, so our steps, you went this way, and then there was a landing, and then you went that way, and I stuck it to the wall, and I pulled it off, and a hole, I'm not exaggerating, this big came out of the wall. <laughs> and I remember as a little kid standing there, like, I had no idea what the inside of a wall looked like. There were boards going this way, there were tiny little boards going that way, there's so much plaster, and I stood there, I'm like, well, I'm dead. And so I'm like, okay, I don't quite know how to handle this, so I thought, if it's all in my voice tone, if I seem calm... They're going to come up here. It's not going to be any big deal. I was like, hey, Dad. Dad. And he came up. And he didn't freak out. It was amazing. His punishment was that I had to stand there the entire time he rebuilt that wall. So he put newspaper in. Then he put this, like, mesh netting. And then pla it was like days. I swear to God, I stood there for days. So the thing is, that wasn't a mistake. <clears throat> I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing it. The only thing I didn't know was how bad it would destroy stuff. I didn't quite know the consequences. And I tell that story partially because it's funny. But the truth of the matter is, is oftentimes the consequences of our mistakes really aren't that funny. And the damage is real. Sometimes we make mistakes on purpose. Sometimes we make the same mistake over and over. 
Sometimes we even plan to make our mistakes. But mistakes are accidental, and we're supposed to learn from them. So what would you call someone who makes the same mistake over and over and over? A mistaker? Or perhaps there's something else going on. You can correct a mistake, but the problem is you can't correct you. And it appears as though you're the problem, and I'm the problem. We seem to have quite a hard time correcting ourselves. We try fixing ourselves, and we can't quite pull that off. Quite possibly, we might have a deeper problem going on. Quite possibly, there might be more than a mistake, maybe even a sin, maybe even a sinner. A sinner, someone who knows better but does it anyways. I want you guys to take out your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, I bet, do we have Bibles, Elliot? Oh, look at all those volunteers running to get you Bibles. That's amazing. So if you don't have a Bible, I don't know, like raise your hand. That would, yeah, clap for them. They're getting you Bibles. <clears throat> now Elliot's going to throw them out to those of you who don't have them. Just kidding. Okay, we're going to open to Matthew 5 to see what Jesus says about um, sin. Okay, Matthew, split your Bible in half. Go to the back half, split it again. That should get you in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So we're looking at Matthew 5. <clears throat> we're looking at Matthew 5. We're going to start at 21. Maybe you can give me a little yep or something when you found it so I know people are finding it. Oh, we got a few yeps. Yep, 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 yep. Matthew 5, we're going to start at 21. So what this is, is this is what Jesus said about sin. Matthew 5, verse 21. And guys, we don't want you to just read it. If you have a, like, marker or pen, you can write in your Bibles. It's okay. That's not a sin. Do you like the way I worked the word sin in there? Thank you. Okay, Matthew 5, 21. You've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. This is Jesus speaking. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I, Jesus... But I tell you that anyone who has anger with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jump down to verse 27. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I, Jesus, tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or man lustfully has already committed adultery with them in his heart. Jeez. Do you see what that's saying? Jesus isn't just saying that the action is sin. He said hate and lust. The thoughts before the action were sin. So in regards to sin, Jesus came along, took all the old rules, and jacked them up even higher. We aren't just mistakers. We are, in fact, sinners. It's obvious here that when Jesus talks about sin, he's all-inclusive, right? It covers everyone. Jesus taught us that sin separates us from God and that it destroys relationships. It cuts us off from him. He talked about sin in regards to how it affects our relationships with each other. Sin breaks relationships. 
I don't have to tell you guys that because I sit and talk with you and I know that you know this. I've listened to you guys talk about how someone's addiction has broke your relationship with them, right? People we love, parents. I've heard you talk about how lies or mistrust has ruined your relationship with people. Sin destroys. And when someone sins against you, and they don't see it as a sin, they see it as a mistake, right? What do you get? You say, geez, I can't believe you did whatever. And they say, oh, sorry. Sorry. It's like when one of my kids hits the other one, say, you're sorry, sorry. How good do you feel when someone says, you say, you hurt me, and they say, sorry. When someone sins against you, and they say sorry after you have to ask for it, and you don't even get an I'm in front of it, right? You don't get an I'm sorry, just get sorry. That doesn't help restore the relationship. We are so screwed up with how we view sin in this world. We don't think we commit it. When other people commit it against us, we think that there should be consequences, right? It's not fair. I want revenge. Some of us think that karma is a thing. Because when somebody hurts me, there needs to be justice, and it's not fair. Now, when I'm the one hurting someone else, it's a little different. More misunderstandings we have about sin is that we believe, some of us believe, or maybe we're even taught, that a sinner is condemned to hell. And not only that, but that God is actually excited about sending you there. But you guys, that's just not true. Because the truth is that Jesus taught something totally different about sin. God has justice. That is true. And there is a price for sin, and that's death. He was very clear about that. Jesus came along and pushed up the standard so high in regards to sin that everybody was doomed. But he said, I have some good news because I'm here for doomed people. You guys, God loves doomed people. God loves doomed sinners. He paid that price on the cross and completely forgave us. So when you look at the Gospels, we're going to pull on another chunk of Scripture. Oh, I should have told you to keep your place. <laughs> Good practice. Okay, so you were in Matthew, and now we're going to be in John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So just a little bit afterwards. So you're in like the back fourth of the Bible. Find John. And we're going to John 8, verse 1. So John 8, verse 1. You see, when you look at the Gospels, the stories about Jesus' life, you can't help but see that Jesus was attracted to sinners. That's who he hung out with. Never once do we see him threatening them with hell. Never. He doesn't do that. Don't hear me wrong. Hell is a real place and people go there. But God doesn't want to send us there. Not only does he not threaten us with hell, he does the opposite. He invites us into a relationship with him for all eternity. Jesus' response to sinners was to offer restoration, not condemnation. So we're going to look at this story. John 8, are we there? Did I buy you enough time there? You're welcome. Uh, John 8, <clears throat> verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So get in your mind a picture of this. Maybe you're one of the people, but there's a lot of people around to hear Jesus teach. 
the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in the act of adultery. I want you to think about what that means. If she was caught in the act of adultery, she wasn't the only person present. Are you catching what I'm saying? Okay. So she was the only one brought, just her. And they made her stand up in front of this huge group of people, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, that's, you know, Old Testament, in your law, in Jewish law, we are commanded to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So here they find this woman who's doing something she shouldn't have been doing, and they bring her out, and they're ready to just kill her right there, just so they can trap Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And they kept questioning him, and he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now if I were you, I would underline that part where it says that he was in the ground writing. So there's been a lot of discussion about what he was writing, but my favorite theory is that maybe he was writing some of the sins of each one of the men in front of them. And then he stands up, he says, yeah, you're right, go ahead. But any of you who's never sinned, you go ahead and start this whole thing. At this, those who began to go, then they began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left standing still with the woman there. Jesus straightened up and said to her, and I just picture like him like actually talking to her, you know, like putting his hands on her and saying, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said, no one. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Now go and leave your life of sin. Can you imagine how she felt? How alone, how terrified? Jesus didn't defend her, right? He couldn't. She was caught in the act. He didn't justify her sin or minimize it. She was guilty as charged and deserved punishment. But Jesus was sneaky. He said, go ahead, punish her, kill her. But any of you who is perfect, go ahead and do it first. Jesus actually intimidated the crowd away by whatever he wrote in the dirt. Does that get you guys excited? Like, what a cool guy. <laughs> what a cool guy. And then the thing that he said next, woman, where are they? No one has condemned you? No one, sir. Then I want you to look at verse uh, 10 and 11, because this right here is a game changer. This is exactly the answer to the question who Jesus is. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. And I really firmly believe Jesus wasn't saying, go live your life of sin, go be perfect, go make me look good. I think he was saying that because he knew it hurt her, right? God hates sin because he hates seeing his people hurt. Jesus' entire purpose is restoration, not condemnation. What that means is his purpose is to be in a relationship with you, not punish you. Although the title of sinner is uncomfortable, it's absolutely necessary that we face up and we own up to our status as sinners <clears throat> so that we can recognize how much we need forgiveness. Because if you're a mistaker, you don't need forgiveness, right? You just need another chance and you'll do better. But then God, our Heavenly Father, comes alongside of us and wants to fix the relationship that we broke. 
But the only way to do that is that we have to admit that we need help and that we, in fact, need forgiveness. The only way that you're going to seek forgiveness is to acknowledge the fact that you've sinned. So here's my challenge to you guys. There's a big word along with sin that we say in church all the time, and that's confess, right? Are any of you in here Catholic? Confession, you've learned all about that, haven't you? Yeah. So we say that word a lot, but we don't talk about what it means. So we confess, we tell God, you know what, I did that, that was wrong, I'm sorry. It's saying I'm sorry, that's all it is. Do you guys know why we confess? A really smart guy told me this one time. Do you think we confess to tell God what we did wrong so he knows? No, guys, he already knows. <laughs> it's not for him. He knows. He's well aware. We confess so that we remember how many things we do wrong. Because if we're not confessing every day, if we're not taking time to say, geez, I was wrong there. I'm sorry. I screwed up. I hurt that person. Then we quickly forget how broken we are. And if we forget how broken we are, then we totally minimize and dilute and negate what grace is. If we don't understand how bad we are, we don't understand how bad we need help. So my challenge to you guys is that we actually, daily, we actually say I'm sorry to God. So here's the restart button. Admitting sin is the way back. All you have to do to embrace this free gift of forgiveness is to admit that you need help. Jesus <clears throat> always saw the acknowledgement of sin as a way back, as a means to an end, an end that you can't get any other way. There's no other way to God but through grace. When Jesus talked about sin, that was his message. God says you're a sinner who needs to be forgiven, and I forgive sinners through the death of Jesus. I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come up. You guys bow your heads. Um, God, we're funny little creatures when we try to trick ourselves and maybe even trick you into thinking that we're really not that bad and that we kind of just make a mistake here or there. But the truth is the problem is in us. And uh, the problem is the state of our heart. And no matter how hard we try, we can't change that because the sin is so deep in us. So we just confess, all of us here right now, that we're broken and that we hurt each other and that we hurt ourselves. And God, we hurt you. And so we just ask that you would help us be brave enough to face that every day. God, be gentle with us as you point out to us what we're doing wrong. But help us remember that you are a dad who we can run to when we've destroyed stuff. God, uh, that you're not waiting there to punish us, but you're just waiting there to fix us and to fix what we've broke. We love you and we're so thankful for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.